podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Well, hello and welcome back to our One Peter series, Life Together, where week by week we're exploring a different part of the text in depth. Today, I'm very pleased to be here with Tim Myers. Tim Myers is the Executive Principal of the Melbourne School of Theology. Welcome, Tim. It's Thank great you. to have you. And we're going to be talking about um, a particular part of 1 Peter. We're up to chapter 3, verse 13, through until the end of chapter 4. So, Tim, as you read this particular part of Scripture, what are some of the things that um, have really hit you as you've engaged with the text? Yeah, well, um, one of the things at a personal level is that when I was in the youth group at Blackburn North Baptist Church many years ago, <laughs> the very first verse that Graham Smith had us all learn and memorise was in this section. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in, that is in you and to do this with gentleness and grace or respect. So I remember that still to this day. And uh, of course, many, many times over the years, I've read back through this letter, partly because a lot of my own life has been exposed to people who have suffered a lot for their faith, um, particularly elsewhere in the world. But these letters speak a lot about suffering and about grace and about the power of God. and. What are the resources God gives us uh, when it comes to trial? So I've gone back to them often and learnt much from them as I've met with other believers uh, who've struggled uh, in the circumstances that they find themselves in. But more broadly speaking, I think this particular section has three main themes. And of course, you know, you guys will look through these when you do your studies. But, you know, the first one is the idea that there is, there is victory available to people, but it begs the question, what does that look like? Mm. And there are, a lot of, there are a lot of ways of defining the victorious Christian life, mm. but how does Peter define that? And what does it look like in the life of followers of Jesus? And the second one is a little more practical, and that is that our behaviour, the way we live day by day by day, the habits we have, uh, the habits we create, perhaps even the habits that we are called to break are a part of the journey to, to victory and to perseverance and, and ultimately to hope. And then in the, third, in the third section, he comes back to this interesting question of suffering and he describes it as a privilege. And I think we know theologically that that that's true because the Bible seems to say that, but I'm not sure we feel that we're in the middle of it. And what does Peter have to say about the privilege of suffering and how can you find yourself sensing the privilege of it? So there's some of the themes that Fantastic. I think are in this section. So, yeah. So some, a theme about what victory looks like, a theme about the habits of a life um, that's aligned with God. And, and thirdly, what, what was the third one? Just that, well, going back to the notion the of, suffering of suffering as a privilege. Yeah, yeah. suffering yeah. is a privilege. So yeah. take us to the first one. How is Peter talking about um, the, the question of, of victory? Well, one of the things that I noticed, and I notice more in this text, even looking back over it in this last week or two, 
is, is the role that our conscience plays. It, it's a beautiful word, actually, the conscience, because I've often described it in my preaching or in reflecting with others on it as the sort of whispering voice of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible has a lot to say about the conscience, and Peter, I suspect, being who he was, knew exactly what it was to have a conscience about things. I mean, he, he, he's the man who denied Jesus, uh, this impetuous person with a, a sort of a temper beneath the surface, but passionate. And uh, as we look into the life of Peter in the, in the uh, not just in the, you know, in Acts, but particularly in the latter part of Jesus' life, I suspect you can find a man who understands what it was to have a guilty conscience. But he's also a man who experienced this incredible grace of Christ who rocked up at, on the shore of the lake when he was out fishing and he'd, run, he'd really run away from the upper room at that point. He didn't say very much, he just went fishing. And then Jesus turns up and cooks him breakfast and this sense of the overwhelming grace of God and a man who knew what it was what it was to discover love through forgiveness. So I think that's the backdrop to his mentioning conscience. But when we read the New Testament more broadly, um, I, I just wrote down a few sections that speak to this. Um, in Romans, for example, um, he speak, Paul speaks a lot about conscience. Um, how much more than in Hebrews will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more then will he cleanse our conscience yeah. from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Um, Paul speaks about the conscience to the Corinthians. And the tie there is that if we sense God identifying things to us about our lives, that we know he wants to heal or renew or restore or deal with. And he does that through his word, Peter says that, and he does that through conscience. In, in recognising that, Peter knows personally that there's a path to freedom. And I think that's a theme for Peter that's sort of embedded in this text. Because he, yeah. he points many times throughout this passage um, to the places in which we experience tension. Yeah. It's the tension between the habits of the people around us who are yeah. conforming to the world and the will of God. Um, I think so, so he's, he's constantly naming those moments in our lives when tension emerges and therefore where conscience might have something to say to us yeah. in terms of guiding us. Yeah, I think so. And... Um, one of the things that I uh, was almost reminded of in reading this section was that it begs a number of questions about how. How, how do you... We know that we have, uh, we're called to persevere. He, he talks about our perspective on suffering. Don't fear the threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Give an answer. Um, he certainly doesn't skirt the issue. In fact, he presumes that God's people will suffer. Well, he says in verse 12, beloved, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. <laughs> and 
uh, you know, in verse 17, it's better if, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, for Christ also suffered. You know, Paul, uh, Peter was a, a Jew and he would have known his Old Testament very well. And I think that's actually quite reminiscent of the ancient story in Daniel where those men were thrown into the fire or threatened to be thrown into the fire. And they said, well, we think, we think God will deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, mm. we will still worship him. His, his life is greater than this temporary fire. Mm. It's an incredible statement of faith in God and in the power of God. But I think it's also a call to an eternal perspective on temporary challenges. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I take from it, that living life, living now, living on earth, sort of with heaven in mind, is a part of the challenge that I think Peter is implying, that being a follower of Jesus is not going to inoculate us or guarantee somehow that, you know, we'll be fine. In fact, as you say, he predicts it's going to happen. He does categorise the nature of trial, I think, in two broad ways. One of those ways is the trials that come upon you. And of course, he was speaking to people who are dispersed and are going through it's an ambiguous historical season of suffering. We're not quite sure exactly when he's referring to, but we know that it was pretty intense. So there's, there's, exter there's those external things. But Peter doesn't pull punches, and he also speaks about the internal suffering. And I think it's interesting that he describes habits of the heart and addictions of life, yes. addiction to sin and to, to broken behaviours, to dysfunctional behaviours. He describes those in these categories of suffering. It's suffering we bring upon ourselves, which is why in that second section, he, he makes this assertion that actually purging our lives of these things is a pathway to freedom. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think often the Christian faith, the Christian church is perceived as this reactionary group of people who are living under the thumb of rules and a capricious, you know, sort of punitive God. But nothing could be further from the truth for Peter. He's a man who's experienced the depth of a broken conscience and experienced the life that comes through forgiveness. And that's why he finishes this beautiful section with this statement about love. So, yeah, he, he, uh, he does say you, you need to escape this corruption and you need to play your part to deal with the things that God puts his finger on when he quickens your conscience about your life. Mm. And, you know, for me, that's very real because when I look in the mirror, I see a person who is broken and weak and inadequate and unworthy in my humanness. And I think that is one of the questions that Peter's letter raises. What are the resources then for us to draw upon to get that, to, to live that victory? Mm. And in his, yeah, mm. he, he gets to that, but not in this letter so much. <laughs> so, yeah. so for you, Tim, um, as you reflect on this passage in your life at this moment in time as a weak person looking in the mirror, yeah. 
how has this passage been an encouragement to you? What do you find in it personally a source of sustenance or encouragement? Yeah, well, I don't know that you can go through life without going through deep waters, yeah. sometimes very deep, mm. traumatic, complicated. Mm. Some of them come from within, some of them are from without. Mm. But I take, um, firstly, the inevitability of pain and trauma and that's physical as well as spiritual, that God knows that. But there's a bigger story and my identity is not contingent upon my compliance or my alignment in my own effort, but rather the resources that he makes available to me through his spirit, through his word, through his people uh, to persevere and live above anxiety and fear even when, even when the valley's pretty deep. Mm. So yeah. it, it, the encouragement that these things are a part of life yeah. and there's a, there's a witness as well as a, re, as a renewal that comes from a perspective that God has on those things, that they are temporary mm. and ultimately they're fruit-bearing, though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So that's the first one. The second one would be just the enormous resources that are available to us in Christ and in his second letter when he says, you know, you have been given everything you need for life as well as godliness through these great and precious promises. That's a fantastic promise. It's not ambiguous. It's not half-hearted. It's there for you. And I've seen in my own life the most powerful, godly, compelling, inspiring women and men are those that have learned a, sort of a, almost a theology and posture of grace in suffering. Mm. And I, I suspect that that's one of the challenges we have in a wealthy Western church context, that we design our lives to mitigate the risk of suffering and pain. And I'm not sure that that's ultimately in our best interest spiritually, although it may well be practically. And then the th I guess the third thing is that the decisions that we make day by day by day play into our capacity to draw on those resources, which is why I think Peter does go to some pretty practical habits. What, what, what's the stuff you're getting involved in? There are some habits that, that you need to break. And there are some new habits that you can develop and God is in that. He's got your back. He provides for you to do that. And that's really encouraging for me because there's always habits I'd like to break and new ones I'd like to start. Yeah. So there you go. There's three things for me. Habits is such a, um, a currency in our culture at the moment. Lots yeah. of best-selling New York Times there books is, are addressing yeah. habits. And, and what I really love about the connection between some of that dialogue and this text is that it's not, it's not just a case of eradicating, not just no. a case of what you're stopping doing, but actually it's about what you're starting to do, what you are actively choosing in your life. Yeah. And so therefore I love that part of the passage where he says in verse 8, above all, maintain constant love for one another for love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. I just think that's such a perspective altering, um, you know, way to think about things and, and an ultimate criteria really 
It is. As you think about, okay, so I'm about to choose this thing. Maybe I'm about to inculcate this thing I'm choosing as part of my own daily, you know, world and, and way I'm living my life. How is that thing drawing me into constant love um, yeah. for other people? And I suspect it's no accident uh, in the providence of God and in the the leading of the Spirit in Jesus's life after the resurrection, that when he finally does confront Peter, this man with a, with a, a broken heart and a sense of grief and sadness over his betrayal, going back to the things he knew, which is often our own temptation, mm. um, we go back to our previous life. And Jesus rolls up and the conversation he has with Peter is about love. Yeah. And out of that conversation, this amazing promise that I will use you to build my church, mm. which is an incredible promise. And, and I think in that little part of that narrative is, as you've just said, it points towards not just the love that we have for Christ, but the greater love that he has for us mm. and his interest in rocking up and on our beach and having a conversation and making breakfast. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank so. you for sharing with us around this passage today. It's been a delight to have you. And thank you for you who are joining us uh, week by week as we explore 1 Peter together. We look forward to seeing you next time.